Thank you, Lord, for your word that it convicts, that it encourages, that it leads us to worship. I pray as we study your word tonight that we would be moved to witness to the world around us. Lord, I pray for our church, that we would be salt and light to our community. I pray for our missionaries around the world, that they would continue to be courageous. I pray for our pastors here, Lord, that they would, uh, you grant them wisdom to lead. And I pray for this sermon, Lord, that during this time you would increase and I would decrease, Lord. Thank you for the sweet time together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I would like to start our time together by asking two basic questions, but questions that we should probably ask ourselves on an ongoing basis. Question number one, how motivated am I to share Christ with others? I know in a room like this, a lot of you are sharing Christ on an ongoing basis. And praise the Lord for that. And thank you for leading us in that direction. But I'd also like to ask, what are we willing to give up in order to win others to Christ? Um, again, I know a lot of you are sacrificing in order to share the gospel, but our goal for tonight's message as we dig into God's word is to continuously be motivated to share Christ with others and then embrace the world around us. So if you have your Bibles ready, um, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. As uh, you're turning there, I'd just like to set some context um, from the passage that we're about to read this letter is to the Corinthian church, but if you study the Corinthian church, you will quickly see that the issues that the Corinthian people faced are very similar to the issues that we face here in America. So as I'm building some context, and before we jump into this first, I'd like to show you four parallels that the Corinthian church has with the American culture today. Number one, the Corinthian church was very prosperous. Um, if you may or may not know this, but... Um, the church in Corinth was located on an isthmus. Does everyone know what an isthmus is? I'm the only one who did poor in geography. An isthmus is essentially a land bridge. It's a piece of land that connects two bodies of water. And the Corinthian church was located on an isthmus. And that means there's a lot of merchant activity going on in this area. So just like the Corinthian church, America is also very prosperous. But you and I both know there are some spiritual difficulties that come with being prosperous. And one of them is the enjoyment of wealth can drown out our need for Christ or our perceived need for Christ. So number one, one of the ways that the Corinthian church was similar to American culture is number one, they were prosperous. Number two, the influence of games was very prominent in the Corinthian church. Um, every two years, there's Olympic-style games happening in this area. Um, these games consisted of wrestling, boxing, chariot races, and even music competitions. But do games have an influence on the American church? Only one honest man in the room, and he's shaking his head, yes. 
Games have a very strong influence on our American culture. Look at Saturday, look at Sunday, look at almost every day of the week. But it's not only sporting games, but also video games have a large influence on our culture today. I have some friends of mine that before they got married, they made an arrangement with their wife that Saturday would be devoted strictly to playing video games. Yeah, she agreed to it, which is even more surprising. Um, but the thing is, I'm not here to beat up against games, but in the Corinthian culture, in our culture, most of, a lot of our time can be spent entertaining games instead of engaging other people with the gospel. And so that's my point there. What else does the Corinthian church have in common with the American church? Is the influence of sin. Sin was very prominent in the Corinthian church. Um, you can see, if, even if you look at the letter, that incest, homosexuality, adulterers, thieves, drunks, swindlers were all part of the Corinthian church. And one of the most prominent figures in the Corinthian church was a, uh, a worship temple that was dedicated to the local god. And this god was actually a sexual god. And there was a, you had to walk two miles up, step, up steps in order to get to this temple. And so within this culture, sex, Drunkenness was very much a part of what they were engaged in, very similar to the American culture that we're a part of today. So again, you're seeing the parallels. The Corinthian church, influenced by prosperity, influenced by games, and also influenced by sin. Are we making the connection? So one of the most difficult things for the Corinthian church, though, was divorcing the culture. It's hard for a lot of Americans today to divorce their culture and be devoted strictly to Christ. So there is a lot of parallels between the Corinthian church and the American church. And the reason I'm saying that is the letter, this letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, is advice that applies to the Corinthian church, but advice that also applies to us and how we engage the culture around us. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's look together. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to, excuse me, through 23. For though I am a man free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law, <laughs> it's kind of tricky in there, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. What is Paul telling us here? What is the heart of these verses? Paul's desire is that we would win people to Christ. Did you see it over and over again? At least five times we see Paul say, so that he might win. So Paul has very practical advice for the Christians in Corinth and for the Christians here in America on how to engage other people with the gospel. 
So let's look very specifically at some of these verses. If you look at verse 19, it says this, Though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I might win more. That first part's interesting. It says this, I am free from all men. What does that mean? That means that Paul and us are free from all religious customs. We no longer have to sacrifice cows. We no longer have to participate in temple ceremonies. We don't have to follow the ceremonial law of the Old Testament anymore. And if you're like uh, my wife and a lot of people in my family, they rejoice in that because they love animals. And one of the first things that uh, my wife told me when she learned that we no longer had to sacrifice animals, she's like, yes, because our family loves our dog and we love animals. And the fact that we don't have to do that anymore is a blessing. But also we are free from having to sacrifice animals. We are free from having to follow the ceremonial law, but we're also free from the Gentile law. And over and over again, the Gentile law around us tells us we have to work for our salvation. We have to work for the approval of others. We have to work for the approval of a God. But Paul is saying here, as Christians, we are free from those things. We have approval from God through a relationship with Christ. Christ is our vehicle to God. Amen, hallelujah. So we are free from the power of sin. We are free from the influence of sin over our lives. And we are free from the consequences of sin eternally. Isn't that good news? So Paul is celebrating in the fact that we are free from that. And that's a point that I want all of us to understand. As Christians, we have complete freedom in Christ. But the interesting point is this. He says this, but he enslaves himself. I am free, but I'm making a choice to enslave myself. This word enslave carries a lot of weight to it. If you look in Romans chapter 6, verse 18, as Christians, you and I are enslaved to righteousness. Specifically, if you look at Acts chapter 7, verse 6, it also tells us that the Egyptians were, or the Israelites were enslaved to the Egyptians. They were in bondage to a human master. Uh, Also, if you look at the Old Testament, you see this word enslavement developed in Exodus chapter 21. If you were a Hebrew slave in the Old Testament, you had the opportunity to be free after six years. But if you loved your master, you had the option to stay because you loved your master. You didn't have to leave. And if you did that, your master would pierce your ear and put a hole in your ear. So every time the community around them saw the piercing in their ear, they saw that was a slave who had the option to leave, but that slave stayed because he loved his master. So Paul is telling us here, as Christians, we are free, but I am making a choice to enslave myself. But why? It says it here in our verse. It says, so that I, so that I may win more. He's willing to enslave himself participate in Jewish practices in order to win other people to Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? 
that someone who had immense freedom was willing to put aside his freedom so he can gauge other people with the gospel. What a great example for you and for I to follow. So the main point is this from verse 19 that I want us to make this. is Christians must be willing to give up their liberties, their freedoms to promote the gospel. Isn't that good? But we might say, well, good for Paul. That's good for him, but not good for me. Just because something is described in the Bible doesn't mean I necessarily have to prescribe to it. Might want to get out of sacrificing your liberties for the sake of the gospel. But Paul addresses that. So if you turn with your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, maybe just one page or so, you'll see 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 31 to 11, verse 1. And this is what Paul says. Whenever then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, a.k.a. be willing to give up your Christian liberty. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they may be saved. Sounds similar to what we just read, right? And this is what he says next in uh, uh, chapter 11. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. So Paul is saying here, this is not just what I do. This is something that we all should do. We should all be willing to make sacrifices in order to engage the world around us with the gospel. As imitators of Christ, we should be sacrificial in our evangelism. But if you're like me, this seems crazy. Like this guy's all in on Jesus, right? But how did he get here? That's one of the questions I ask. How was Paul so captivated by God and captivated by other people that he'd be willing to make sacrifices to engage people with the gospel. There's probably a lot of reasons that we could talk about tonight, but I'd like to just list five reasons why Paul is so captivated with sharing the gospel with other people and why he specifically loves people so much. Number one, Paul was called. If you look at Acts chapter 9, Paul was on the road to Damascus, right? And he was on the road to Damascus to do what? Gather up some Christians and then bring them back to Jerusalem and put them in jail, right? But on the way to Damascus, he was confronted with the Lord Jesus. And from that point on, G or Paul had a calling. And his calling was centered on sharing the gospel of other people. Paul did a lot of amazing things in his ministry. He planted churches. He discipled other people. He counseled other people. He sacrificed a lot, but the center of all his ministries was winning people to Christ. And one of the reasons he did that is because he was called by God to do it. But dear brothers and sisters, we're also called to do the same thing. All of us in this room are sure familiar with the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. This is what Jesus tells his disciples, tells us. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So why is Paul crazy about people engaging them with the gospel? Because he was called. Brothers and sisters, we should do likewise because we are called. Number two, why is Paul so dedicated to this mission? Why does he love people so much? I would argue, number two, that he was motivated by theology. Paul understood who he was who God was and what God did on his behalf. A lot of Paul's theology, believe it or not, comes out of 1 Corinthians. Um, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, this is what Paul says about the state of man. For those who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he says this, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. What is Paul saying here? Left to our own, we are totally unable to choose God. We are dead spiritually, D-E-A-D, dead. But God in his divine grace and mercy draws dead people to himself so that they can be in eternity with them forever. Isn't that good news? So Paul's theology understood he was nothing without Christ. We understand that we are nothing without Christ, but God is divinely gracious. On one of Augustine's, Augustine's favorite verses was from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Um, and this is what 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says. What do you have that you did not receive? Salvation, the air we breathe, the feet that we have, everything that we have has been given by God, not earned. So why is Paul crazy about people? Because he understands who he was before Christ and what God did on his behalf. And out of the joy in his heart of that reality, he's compelled to tell people about his glorious Savior. So why is Paul dedicated to sharing Christ? It's because he has a proper understanding of God, Right? Why else is Paul like this? Why does he love people so much? Point number three is he understood his role. When sharing Christ with others, we don't know who the elect are, do we? It would be pretty cool to go to the store and just the elect would be marked out with halos. Right? Would make my day a lot more efficient. I would target those people, bam, go, 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 right? But, God knew, but Paul knew that it was God who saved and it was his responsibility to preach the gospel. God uses people to save other people. God works through us by proclaiming the gospel so that other people could be saved. So Paul understood that his role was to preach and so he embraced his role. Your role and my role is to share Christ with others. And God gives us the privilege to participate in that. And you and I can embrace that and do it and do it well and leave the results up to God. Sound good? 
Why else is Paul like this? Number four is he felt indebted. If you look at Romans chapter 1, verses 14, you'll see that Paul says he feels indebted to share the gospel with other people. He feels indebted. He feels like he has to. Why? He knows people are perishing and he has the remedy, which is Jesus Christ. If we saw a building on fire and we knew that the solution was to get out of the building and the people inside the building did not know that, what would we do? We would go in and tell them, building is on fire, get out of here. We would feel indebted to tell other people about the burning building. Paul felt indebted to tell other people about Christ because he knew the wages of sin and he knew that the solution was Christ. He was motivated to share that great message with other people. Number five is why is Paul's mission, why is our mission focused on sharing the gospel? Because he understood, we understand what people are being saved from. Don't you hear that a lot? People say, I'm saved. But do they really know what they're being saved from? Hmm. I'm always would be like a homework exercise when someone says, I'm saved. Like, help me, dear brother or sister, what does that mean? What are you saved from? Maybe they would say, saved from hell. But what they're saved from is the wrath of God. That's heavy. If we really believed that the wrath of God was falling on people who did not believe, would we leave this place and just go tell everybody about Christ? Because the wrath of God is reality, and it's very, very severe. This is what the Bible says about the wrath of God, specifically in Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10 says this, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised to the, from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath of God. In Romans chapter 2, verse 5, it says this to the lost people. Paul says this to the lost world. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself. Paul understood that the wrath of the creator of the universe was going to fall upon lost people. That was the reality. And in light of that reality, it prompted him to share Christ with others. It should prompt us to share Christ with others. Amen? So my main idea is this about Paul before we jump back into our verse, is Paul was dedicated to the mission of sharing Christ for five reasons. Number one, he was called, just like we are called. Number two, his theology prompted him to do so. Our theology ought to prompt us to do so. Number three, he understood his role was to proclaim Christ and leave the results up to God. Number four, he felt indebted to um, tell other people about Christ. And number five, he knew that God was saving people from wrath. So let's jump back into verse 20. It says this, to the Jews, I became a Jew. As I said earlier, Paul knew he did not have to follow any Jewish customs, ceremonies, rituals, or traditions. Excuse me. But he participated in those customs 
in order to open up the door to witnessing to Jews. You know what this is called? Pre-evangelism. Pre-evangelism. And what pre-evangelism is, it's being accommodating to other people in hopes of opening the door to sharing the gospel. Was Paul sinning by participating in these activities? Nope. Was he accommodating? Yes. But how far will Paul exactly go in accommodating to others? And this is very interesting. If you know Acts chapter 16, verse 3, we see that Paul had Timothy circumcised. Why in the world would he do that? We're all saved by grace, right? He doesn't have to circumcise anybody. But look at Acts chapter 16, verse 3. It says this. Paul wanted this man, wanted Timothy to go with him. He took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. They didn't want to hold, he didn't want the people there to hold anything against Timothy. He wanted a foot in the door. He wanted to remove all obstacles from them hearing the gospel. So what did he do? Poor brother. I don't know how Timothy felt about this whole idea. And uh, he might have needed to be talked into it a couple times. But this is how Paul, how serious Paul is about sharing the gospel, that he's willing to sacrifice and endure pain and give up his freedoms in order to share Christ with others. And and I want to be clear here, Paul is in no way advocating sinning at all. But what he is advocating is removing offenses so that we can engage our culture for Christ. Paul is also telling us this, that we as Christians do not compromise truth when sharing the gospel with other people. We don't sin, but we are willing to give up freedoms and sacrifice so that we, so that others will be receptive to hearing the gospel. Does that make sense? But practically speaking in America, how do we do this? Anyone have some Jewish friends? Probably not many. I guess we can't go to Jewish customs and festivals this weekend. But there's other ways that we can engage the Gentile world around us. And it's basically doing things that we don't want to do so that we can establish relationships with other people in hopes of sharing the gospel. You ever do something you don't want to do? I'm going to be honest with you. Is everyone here, did everyone go to Riverbend's Got Talent? Can I just get a show of hands like who was here? No, brother. So I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to be honest. Who Show. Did everyone see our family? Yeah, it was pretty good. Okay, good. Encourage the, the preacher for tonight. It was pretty good? Okay. So our family was up here. Um, my wife was an amazing at baton. My kids danced. They, sh- they danced. Yeah, they danced really good. My four-year-old danced. Amazing. So when this idea was pitched to me, hey, Dad, uh, Let's get on stage and let's boogie. Son, <laughs> I am 30 years old. I'm older than that. I'm getting up there. And um, I'm still relatively new at Riverbend. I don't know if I'm feeling this idea. 
And so what happened is I just hoped the idea would go away. So I was like, oh, Dad, I'll think about it. When, you're, when you say that as a parent, I'll think about it, really means no, and you're hoping that they'll change their mind. Right, parents? So I said, I'll think about it. But when, what, did it, what ended up happening? Who was up here with the least amount of talent? This guy, dancing and juggling, doing God knows what. Why? Because I want to engage the hearts of my kids in hopes of continuously sharing the gospel with them. Am I going to Jewish festivals? Nope. Am I finding ways to do things I don't want to do so I can engage the world around me? We all should. Amen? I have some friends of mine um, that I used to work with had no interest in MMA fighting. You guys know what that is, MMA fighting? And if you're not interested in it, you're really not interested in watching people get bloody. And I know, Seth, you're probably into all that. But some people just aren't into it. So I had a friend of mine. He really didn't want to go to the MMA fight. But he went. Why? To get barriers out of the way so that he can engage in the gospel with that person. Could you make a case that maybe MMA fighting is sinful? You've got to respect your temple. Don't destroy your temple. We're advocating that they destroy their temple by fighting together, right? So some Christian who's very cavalier and probably very wise might make a, make a case that it's sinful to do that. But I would say that's a gray area. And so what Paul is telling us in these areas of gray area where we're not 100% sure, set it aside, move away all the boundaries so that we can engage other people with Christ, right? Engage your kids in unique ways in the world around us. What a great principle here. Uh, look at verse 21 with me. Um, Paul, not only did he do this with the Jews, but he also did it with the Gentiles. It says here, so that I may, might win those who are without the law. Paul feels the same way about Jews as he does about Gentiles. He's willing to give up his freedoms for them. But if you look specifically at verse 21, what guides Paul in doing all this? It's the law of Christ. What guides Paul in acting this way? In verse 21, it says he is guided by the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? What is the law of Christ? And in my studies and my time in seminary, one of the best things that I was told in terms of if you have questions about a certain section of Scripture, they would tell me, let Scripture interpret Scripture. So if you're unsure about what a specific word means, look up other similar words in the Bible and try to come up to with a conclusion in terms of how Scripture interprets Scripture. So what does the law of Christ mean? This is other instances in the Bible where the law of Christ is referenced. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, it says this, Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians chapter 5, verse 14 says this, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 13.8 says this, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. 
John 13, 34, this is what Jesus says. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Romans 13, 10 says this. Love does, does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. The law of Christ is making decisions out of love of God and love for others. Do I have to follow the ceremonial law anymore? Nope. Do I have to follow the ritual laws of the Old Testament anymore? Should I follow the moral laws of the Old Testament? Yes. Why? Because the law of Christ guides me to do so. I don't steal from my neighbors, as the Old Testament says. Why? Because I love my neighbor. And I love my neighbor so much, I'm willing to give up my liberty and privileges in order to share Christ with that person. So am I willing to share the gospel with other people? Yes. Why? Because I'm under the law of Christ. Should we make sacrifices for other people? Yes, because we're all under the law of Christ. Should I share the gospel even though I am not a theological expert? Yes, because we're under the law of Christ. Well, we're going to keep going. We're going to build momentum. Here we go. Should I share the gospel with my kids? Because I'm under the law of Christ. Law of Christ. All right, let's keep going. Should I care for orphans? Because I'm under the law? Very good. We're doing great. Should I go to a party when I don't want to? I don't know how many kids' parties I've been to, especially when you're on the birthday party circuit from the ages of 5 to 10. Oh, my goodness, there's parties all the time. I don't know how many more bouncy houses I can go into. But will I go to a party so that I can share Christ with other people? Yes. Why? Because I'm under the law of? Amen. Should I hang out with people who have different interests? Depends. What if you really want to do something on Saturday or Sunday? Should I do it? I'm going to be honest. This is going to be hard for me in the next couple of days because you all are aware of a hurricane that's out on the coast, right? And I really love surfing. Really like it. And in Florida, there's seldomly any waves. And there are some opportunities for me to show the law, of, the law of Christ to other people the next couple of days. But I'm torn. Not going to lie. So pray for me. I'm landing. I'm hopeful that I will make the right decision. Why? Because I am under the law of Christ, just like you and I are. So are we going to engage the world around us even when it's difficult? Are we going to give up our liberties and our privileges? Absolutely, because I am motivated by my love for God and my love for other people. So my point is this, and I, you sure, surely know it by now. Let the law of Christ guide our evangelism in our lives. And I want, again, I just want to clarify this, and this is point five. Paul would never advocate us setting aside the truth of the gospel to satisfy anyone. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that the gospel is offensive to those who are perishing. Do we ever compromise on that? No. Are we willing to do things we don't want to do? Yes. But if a person becomes offended by the gospel, that's really not our problem. 
our deal, our responsible is, responsibility is get out of the way and be as accommodating as possible and deliver the gospel in a loving and an effective way. So main point number six is this. Within the bounds of Christ, we should do whatever it takes to win people to Christ. So tonight, um, I outlined about six points, and I'm going to summarize, and then we're going to jump into some application. These were the main points that we've made so far about 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. That you and I have complete freedom in Christ. Freedom from customs, living up to the expectations of man, free from the penalty of sin. We are free. We have access to God through a relationship with Christ. That was point number one. Point number two was this. Christians must be willing to give up their liberties and freedoms to promote the gospel. Agreed? Point number three is this. As imitators of Christ, we should be sacrificial in our evangelism. Agreed? Okay, number four was this. Let the law of Christ guide our evangelism and our lives. Point number five was Paul would never set aside the truth of the gospel to satisfy anyone. Neither should we. Point number six, within the bounds of scripture, we should do whatever it takes to win people to Christ. And so many in this room are probably wondering, what are some practical steps that I can do to start engaging the people around me with the gospel? How do I get started? Give me some guidance on how do I lead into those conversations. Number one, a suggestion I have for you is to make an intentional plan. Did Paul have an intentional plan? When Paul was on his missionary journeys, where would he go first? The synagogues. And then after the synagogues, he would go to the Gentiles. He had a plan. Remember, uh, there's an old adage, a failure to plan is a plan to fail. You've heard that? At nauseum, we hear it all the time. Well, it's the same way with the gospel. We need to have an intentional plan. And you can ask yourself these questions. Are there lost people around me? If there are lost people around me, can I be intentional out of love of having lunch with that person? Even if they're annoying? Because God loves annoying people? Yes. Why? Because he's under the law of Christ. Um, also, here's another tip. If you're unsure on how to share the gospel with other people, if you just get nervous and a little antsy, share with your kids. They're a captive audience. They can't go anywhere. Like, hey, little, son, little Susie, little Tommy, here's the gospel again. We're going to practice. Practice on your kids, and it's good for them to hear the gospel over and over and over again. And so also, I made the point earlier that we need to make an intentional plan, because that's what the apostles did. If you look at Acts chapter 5, verse 42, this is what the apostles did. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. The apostles were intentional every single day about going from house to house. As people who are captivated about Christ, we should have an intentional plan to share Christ with others. Amen? So if you're looking to get started, have a plan. Be intentional. Number two is keep it simple. 
You do not have to walk through the doctrines of grace in order to evangelize somebody. That was supposed to be a joke. It wasn't funny. Okay. But I think sometimes there is this pressure that we need to unpack every theological concept in order to share Christ with other people. That's not true. I, I like to keep it basic. I like to keep it simple. I like to go through basic Romans Road stuff. Is everyone familiar with the Romans Road on how to share the gospel with other people? Romans Road is great if you never heard of it. It's four or five key scriptures from the book of Romans that helps you present the gospel to other people. And you can write these down. Romans 3.23 says this, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No matter who you talk to, everyone that I've talked to always agrees that no one is perfect. If you're an atheist, agnostic, if you're a Buddhist, a Hinduist, Anyone, everyone agrees for the most part with Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if you're engaging someone with the gospel, you're off to the races. You agree on something immediately that we're all messed up. But in the eyes of a holy God, what does that mean? And that's where Romans 6.23 comes into play. The wages of sin is death. And most people will agree that if there is a higher being, that he's pretty amazing. Like, look at the world around us. Look at our kids. Look at our bodies. I think in our class in Growing in Christ, did we say that there's 2.8 trillion cells in the human body? Like, our bodies, the universe is amazing. So us, as sinful people, what is our position before an amazing holy God? It's not good. The wages of sin is death. So if you're walking through the gospel of someone, share Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, but also share the good news. Romans 5.8 says what? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yes! High five the person when you say that. Don't high five the person you say. Get excited about it, right? And it's pretty cool when you share the gospel with other people. Not only is it good for them, but it's good for us. Because sometimes I go through those ruts of the day where I'm just kind of going through the motions. And then God will set up a divine appointment to share Christ with somebody. And as you're sharing Christ with somebody, you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like, I deserve help, but God saved me. And as you're sharing Christ with other people, you should be getting excited because that's what God has done for us. Amen? And so after you share the good news, you're, the, most people are curious, what shall I do next? I agree with you that the wages of sin is death and that I am a sinner and that Christ died for my sins. What is the next step for me to engage with God? Romans 10.9 says what? If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. Give them some direction on what's next. Believe in your heart and, and explain to them what genuine belief is. It's not intellectual knowledge, but it's understanding your position before a holy God and what Christ did on your behalf. So what can we do in terms of making the first steps of evangelism? Have an intentional plan. Keep it simple. Be loving. And also be content with putting a stone in someone's shoe. Not every person's going to embrace the gospel. But your job is to tell. God's job to save. So if someone doesn't come to Christ that day, it's okay. You're doing your job. You're telling. You're enjoying it. You're having a great time. But if they leave that conversation pondering to themselves, wow, maybe I should think about this a little bit more. 
maybe I don't know what's going to happen when I die. Amen, that you planted a stone in someone's shoe. You got them thinking about eternal things because most people's lives are running day to day, waking up for school, flying to work, breaking the speed limit, flying back home for dinner, and they're running back to bed and they're doing it every single day. So help people see that there's more to our lives than just busyness, but God has an eternal plan for them. So be loving, be content in putting um, a stone in someone's shoe. And lastly, this, rely on God's power. God is the one who saved. We talked about that earlier. But 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 says this, that we are not sufficient in, our, in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. We are equipped for ministry, not because we have officially arrived, but because God has sufficiently equipped us to share the gospel with others. That's pretty cool. So what is the message for tonight from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 through 23? Is this. The world around us is, is perishing. And if we are driven by the law of Christ, we will be willing to make sacrifices so that we can share the gospel with others. That was Paul's mantra. And Paul was telling you and me that we should imitate him in doing that for those five different reasons that we talked about. Because God is miraculous. That God is loving, he is gracious, and he saves sinners like you and me. And then we talked about some practical ways that we can do that in the lost world around us. So my main goal was to continue to motivate us to share Christ with others. And I pray and I hope that this helped you feel motivated to share, others, to share Christ with others. So thank you for your sweet time. And uh, let me pray and then we can be dismissed. Lord, uh, thank you that you have not left us in our sin, Lord. That you intercepted this world and wrapped yourself in flesh and became a person in the body of Christ to die on a cross so that we can be reconciled to you. Help us, Lord, to celebrate that reality and help our love for you prompt us to share Christ with other people. Help us to be driven by the law of Christ. Help us to love you and help others and help us be intentional in sharing your amazing gospel with the world around us. Help us not to be afraid, but help us to be bold and help us to see, Lord, that it's a distinct honor and privilege to talk about our lovely Savior with other people. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the instruction in 1 Corinthians, Lord, and help us to honor you in all that we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.